Yes, the promo was wrong. It's not Rumination Tuesday. It's Rumination Thursday. And on Rumination Thursday, guess who we have with us? Reverend Wes Reimnitz. Hi, Wes. Hi, Tom. I thought it was a quiz. You thought it was a what? A quiz. See if I was awake. It was Tuesday or Thursday. Oh, yeah. Well, we had Mark Smith on Tuesday. (laughs) (laughs) And you found another pretty good article that we're going to be taking a look at on this Rumination Thursday, April the 4th, in the year of our Lord, 2019. How God Evaluates Worship. It's uh, written by a non-Lutheran, Jack Hayford, who is a pastor of Church on the Way in Van Noy's California. Is that how it's pronounced? Van Noy's or Van? How in Van Noy's? Van Noy's. Okay. That's why we do it in Central Illinois. <laughs> yes. Yeah, Illinois. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Illini. Boy. <laughs> Yeah, there's one thing I've been discovering in helping out some churches in Illinois. Nobody pronounces their name the way it's spelled. That's right. San, San Jose is really San Joe's. I know. That's really true, Reminitz. Okay. How <laughs> <laughs> uh, God evaluates worship. I was kind of going over this again this morning, and there's one word that is missing in this entire document that is really shocking. You know what that word is? What is that word? Jesus. Ah. Can you imagine somebody telling how God desires worship and never mentioning Jesus? Well, you, it's, it's amazing that you talk about it in that fashion because one of the last passages that I that I put down as we prepared for our broadcast was Philippians chapter 2. And what's that say? Well, that in particular, let me hunt it up right quick here. Philippians 2, that that at the name of Jesus, every knee yes, should bow. right. And those on heaven and earth and those under the earth and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Well, you know, they have a saying that even a blind squirrel sometimes can find nuts. And I'm not saying that everything in this article is inappropriate and unbiblical. Uh, the one item that I liked uh, when I when you sent it to me, and I thought, boy, this is going to be pretty good, is actually on the first page when he talks about that when we're to worship Jesus in spirit, he says, many are inclined to conclude that mind is a proper synonym for spirit here, but the Bible shows that heart is a better candidate. And here's what he says. I think this is really pretty good. To base worship on the intellect is to entertain a dual delusion. First, that the mind is less subject to deception than is the heart, and second, that the mind is the main means to contact God in worship. He says, yeah, human intelligence contributes to worship, but God's word indicates he is not looking for something brilliant, but something broken. And then he quotes Psalm 51. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. That kind of fits what we've been talking about 
inappropriate sermons. You know, some of them are just trying to care for the people. Some of them are trying to tell you how to get more money and have a wonderful family. Some of them are just exegetical sermons where they explain the text but have no application. And some of them attempt to prove that the Bible is true, and therefore they work on the mind. But I think he makes a very good point that what needs to be worked on is not so much the mind, but the heart. Heart. Hey, you want a Bible verse? Yes. Ephesians five, nineteen, dressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Yep. In fact, it's not the heart you were born with. Hmm. Psalm fifty-one, create. In me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. That's the heart. That's that new heart that God has given us, which is a heart of faith. Mm. Now, he says, to be more specific, I believe that to please God, worship must do four things. Now, I'm bothered by that statement because I don't go to church in order to please God. That Mm. seems an ulterior motive. It's kind of like, oh, I know, I'll give some food to the hungry, and that way I'll be pleasing to God. And every time I hear this nonsense about we're trying to please God, it appears to be legalistic. In other words, if I do the right things God wants me to do, then he'll like me, then he'll love me, and maybe he'll even save me. Well, you know, in our hymnal, we kind of reverse the operation a little bit, do do we not? How so? We call in our latest one, our Lutheran service book, it's divine service. It's God serving us in worship. That's right. We often, if I have someone helping me prior to the service, we have a prayer before we go out to the service. And what I often will say is help the people to understand that I, as a pastor, am not leading the service. Jesus is leading the service and using the words that I speak, the sacraments I administer to do his work. Mm. Now, in the Lutheran service book, it says the service calls forth our service in sacrifice and praise to him and in loving service towards one another. So, Yeah, I have no problem with that. Okay. So why don't we take a look at the four things that will please God? Uh, The number one is true worship treasures God's presence. I'm not even sure in reading what he said what that means. Did you figure that out? Not really. closest I came was uh, when he talked about Exodus 33 and 34 where God and Moses... uh, We're talking with one another. Yeah, and God says, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. Hmm. That's the only thing is that true worship treasures God's presence. I'm not going to say that that's wrong because look how we start our worship service. In the name of the... Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Which reminds us of our... Baptism. Yes, yes. Where God's presence came into us, the Spirit. So if that's what he's saying, I don't 
have too much of an argument with that. Right. And I would say the same. I also thought of that early on in the service, we made confession of sins to draw closer to God. Yes. But remember the absolution. I don't think you can do an absolution without mentioning the name Jesus. Right. Well, as you've said many times, uh, Jesus gives us the authority, not the power, to forgive sins. Yes. Pastors have no power, but they have authority given to them by God. And it's really kind of interesting. It says, with gentleness, the Holy Spirit has a way of drawing us back to our first love, to a renewed hunger and thirst for the living God. But he's never mentioned. You could be a Muslim and read this article and still not realize that he's not talking about Islam. You know, you're right. I I hadn't even thought of that until uh, you brought it up. You know, and I was looking, going through, finding Bible passages that spoke about Jesus. In in other words, Philippians chapter 2. Yes. In fact, what was really important about Jesus' Bible study to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus? He taught them through the Holy Scripture. You know, he... He could have shown himself directly, but uh, it was through the word that uh, he enlightened them. Yes, and he kept giving Bible passage, and that was the Old Testament books, after Bible passage, where he was present. Uh, The most famous one, of course, is at the burning bush with Moses, where he's referred to as the angel of the Lord, which refers to Jesus, the second person of the Trinity. And when he gives his name, I am the God of Abraham, Abraham. Isaac, and Jacob. And also in that same Bible study on the road to Emmaus, it's later where he gathers his his disciples and begins to open up the scriptures to them. And at that time, it would have been the Old Testament. Yes, that's correct. Moving on to number two, true worship humbles the heart. Now, you know, our program is called Law and Gospel, and yet there isn't one mention of the distinction between law and gospel. In fact, I, I, I don't find any gospel anywhere in here, because you can't tell the gospel without mentioning Jesus, and he never does. But, just kind of make a little bit of a slip there, huh? Yes, Now, there's no doubt, Isaiah 6, Woe is me, for I am undone. Isaiah, he quotes that when Isaiah comes uh, to an image of God the Father. And I think that's not bad, that true worship humbles the heart. In fact, what do we do right after we have the invocation? We have the confession of? Sins. Yes, And that's where we say we are such sinners that we deserve nothing but temporal and eternal punishment. Wow. It makes a big difference. And it levels the playing field. It's all of us. It's not just certain ones in the congregation that are there to hear it. We're there. All of us are there to hear God's word of law and gospel, of the forgiveness that he gives to us through Christ our Lord. Yes, yes. Um... He says, because of the importance of humility, I began encouraging people to become more expressive, both vocally and physically, in worship. Few things challenge our pride more than the simplest summons to expressiveness. No, I I don't agree with that. 
I think few things challenge our pride more than the law. All right. Yeah, I had a big question mark there as well. You kind of left out uh, the, the law itself or the confession of sins itself. Yeah, he says that careful teaching and modeling can help people move beyond self-consciousness, challenging the adult preoccupation with self-importance. Um, that's not bad. I usually use the terminology self-interest. Hmm. And that's what the law does, is that it shows us that that self-interest is sinful and moves us to someone who had more interest in ourselves than we ought to have in ourselves. Don't you think he kind of opens up worship into a free-willing, expressive sort of thing, whereas we tend to be more liturgic, looking for Bible passages and in responses in our, in our liturgy? Yes, uh, a mistake I made when I first started teaching adult instruction, I never mentioned much of the liturgy. And it didn't take me long before I realized that some people didn't realize what they were saying in the liturgy. We need to understand, like the Apostles' Creed, there is not a phrase in the Apostles' Creed that is not a direct quotation from Scripture. So when somebody says to me, well, what does that phrase mean? We go to the Bible passage where it's used and say, this is what it means, because it's explained there. Right, and one of the nice things about uh, this new uh, Lutheran service book we've been using for a number of years is as you go through the liturgy, it has off on the side the Bible passages from which we took that liturgy. Yes. Yeah, I, I really like that. Um the hymns, they do it also, but unfortunately, you'd have to put down sometimes 30 Bible passages. <laughs> Last night, uh, the closing hymn we sang at the Lenten service was one by Martin Luther. And boy, there wasn't a phrase that wasn't somehow connected to a Bible passage. Yeah, he was one of the, the great reformers that brought back and melded the, the, the word with, with uh, him. And the song. Yes. Yeah, Luther really had a good point. Now, he does have a couple of good points. One of his members once suggested, Pastor, if you didn't teach and invite people to lift their hands in worship, I think our church would grow faster. And then added, I think you might injure some people's pride. I said gently, injure pride. Why, I was hoping to kill it all together. <laughs> yeah, he has a unique way of doing it. Huh? Yes. Um, I've often said, what's at the center of sin? I. And what's at the center of pride? I, again. Yes. And mm. that's what we need to put to death in a sermon. That's why I often say a sermon both attacks the people in the pew and then takes away that attack because Jesus, their warrior, comes and fulfills what they have to do. Uh, I, I don't know if it's probably has happened to you the same, but, you know, you're doing a sermon, somebody said, come out and said, boy, that law in the sermon was meant for, meant for me. And you look at it and said, but I was aiming elsewhere. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Number three. 
true worship sacrifices and then expect something from God. Well, I don't even think the Bible verse he gives says that. But we are told that the worshiper is to believe something will be given in return by God himself, something rewarding, benevolent, and good. Now, the only thing is, I believe that God gives something rewarding, benevolent, and good regardless of whether a person does any sacrificing toward God. Hmm. Or uh, what is it, that uh, quote of Luther, we come with open hands and, and it's the bag that we have to receive the gifts of God. Exactly. And remember, what sacrifices were the people at the cross doing when they pierced him in hands and feet? And he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They do. Yeah. That wasn't on the basis of any good sacrifice that they were making. And I really would hesitate, although I think that's among some Lutherans in their mind, because sometimes you'll go to someone who was sick and missed two Sundays, and they say, I just don't think I received blessings that week. And mm. there's a good example of someone who thinks that unless I do my part, God's not, not going to do God's his part. Right. And that, that was... Uh... And I had the same thought. I couldn't see how we were sacrificing something to God, but but really more of what God has sacrificed for us. Yes. Yeah, he says that he will open the windows of heaven and pour out blessings, but that's even done among sinners because of the forgiveness of sins. And isn't that good? He, Or as you've often said before, he doesn't give us what we deserve. No, that'd be justice. He gives us what we don't deserve, mercy. He gives us, well, no, that's grace. And he doesn't give us what we deserve, that's mercy. Mercy, yes. How about number four? What does he say? True worship extends God's love. Now, what he's trying to say, and here's how we would say that in Lutheran theology, is that once you're justified... Then comes the life of sanctification. Mm. And that's how we extend God's love to others. In other words, he even uses uh, the word I've been using for a while. Remember, we have a vertical relationship with God. That's justification. And then we have a horizontal. And that's what he says under number four. The vertical mandate to love and worship God is also horizontal to love the neighbor. But then he gives us a list of things that we are to do, which I don't think any Christian is able to do perfectly. That's, yeah. I looked at it a little differently in Colossians chapter 3. Go ahead. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, admonishing one another in wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and thankfulness in your heart. And whatever you do, in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So really, it's it's our walk from the cross. You know, as we go and worship, it's our walk from the cross, singing psalms and uh, letting that flow from our hearts. And we, we know what it means to be a good husband, yes. good wife. You know, in our various vocational life. 
where I find the good parts in this article would really become a lot better if he would be using the distinctions of theology as the Reformation came out. He doesn't realize it, but when he's talking about putting down pride, that's really a long gospel thing. He doesn't realize it, but the idea of showing love to others after God shows love to us is a distinction between justification and sanctification. But I'm still quite amazed that you can write all these pages on what is proper worship and never mention the name Jesus. Jesus. It is, uh, it is a problem, not just only in, in, in uh, his realm of churches that they're at, but we see that with, with all kinds of churches. Uh, in fact, uh, a person out on the East Coast that we've been talking to uh, is just amazed that all the churches around them are closing Yes, one by one, and and uh, her comment was, the church that she goes to, they talk about Jesus. Yeah, uh, yesterday on issues etc. On their comment line, they had a woman who sent them an email said, "We became Lutheran because of listening to KFUO and specifically issues etc. and mentioned a couple of other things, and so we joined a Lutheran church, Missouri Synod congregation." But uh, they don't do the things that you're saying Lutherans should be doing. And she had a list of about eight items that were mm. contrary to Lutheran worship, Lutheran practice, like open communion they were having and all this sort of thing. Their adult instruction lasted two hours. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And her question was, should we stay in the church or should we try to find another one? And immediately issues, et cetera, responded, go find another one. Yeah, you, you need to find a place that's going to feed you. Exactly. They are not being fed properly. Yeah, there is a possibility. And Todd did say this. He said, go to your pastor and tell him the things that you've been telling me about what needs to be changed. And perhaps he'll say, yeah, you're right. I did give my vows uh, on the Book of Concord. I mean, they never mentioned the Book of Concord in the worship or in the catechism or, or Bible studies. And so if they change, that will be wonderful. But if not, you need to find a different church where the Word of God is preached in its purity, the sacraments administered rightly. And right. Go ahead. We say those vows as pastors first at our ordination, Right. And again, every time we're installed in a new congregation. Yes. And obviously, we're, it appears that this is a pastor who, like some of the uh, Methodists, now that they have said that homosexual activity is a sin, they're just going to ignore that and continue to marry people of the same sex and this sort of thing. And uh, they're just going to ignore what their church says. And I think every denomination is going to be faced with this. And we can be thankful we live in a, a denomination where action can be taken uh, against pastors through a proper process when they fall away from the Word of God and no longer are Lutheran in their understanding. Or in a positive manner, those who, who are faithful to the Word and sacrament. Yes. And what does that mean? That means that they teach the 
the, the gospel and its purity and rightly administer the sacraments as they're found in the Bible. And what word will be mentioned a lot of times? Jesus. That's right. <laughs> in, in fact, uh, I think our convention, it's all about Jesus. Right. We're really yeah. making a point there, and I think that is necessary in this day and age because it's simply not being heard. Heard, exactly. Well, thank you very much, uh, Pastor Wes Reminitz. And, uh, oh, excuse me, Reminitz, that's the Southern Illinois way of saying it. And uh, next uh, Thursday, possibility? Yep, I'm already working on one. I found one on All right, on a don't movie. say anything about it, and we'll talk okay. about it over the phone first. I'm Tom Baker, and that was Pastor Wes Reimnitz. Uh, uh, tomorrow is Open Mic Friday. Maybe you have a question over something we just said. Well, give me a ring tomorrow. Until then, I'm Tom Baker. God bless. Listen to Law & Gospel each weekday morning at 9.30 on KFUO. For a tax-deductible gift to Law & Gospel, please make your check payable to Concordia Mission Society and mail it to Tom Baker, P.O. Box 28910, St. Louis, Missouri, 63132. To give online, visit lawandgospel101.com or call toll-free 1-877-267-1962. Views and opinions expressed on Worldwide KFUO may not represent the official position of the management or ownership of KFUO, the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. If you'd like to comment on programs or topics heard on Worldwide KFUO, write us at KFUO, 1333 South Kirkwood Road, St. Louis, Missouri, 63122. You can also leave a question or comment on our comment line at 314-996-1542. We are the messenger of good news, Worldwide KFUO.